Hi, this is Jose Figueroa with an Approved Workman, where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. Welcome to another week of Bible study. I am so glad that you're here as we open up God's word one more time. Our current series is Come, Lord Jesus, a study of the book of Revelation. If you're new to this Bible teaching ministry, here is how you can learn more about our work. First, go to our website, www.anapprovedworkman.org. That's anapprovedworkman.org. On the website, you can learn more about the purpose of this ministry, our approach to Bible study, and also review our statement of faith. You can also listen to previous episodes of the current series on Revelation or any episodes from any of the previous series we have done. On the website, you can also subscribe to the podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now also on Amazon Music, as well as other podcast directories. You can also connect with me on social media. I'm on Instagram at Workman. On Pinterest, we have a page, pinterest.com slash Workman, And you can also find our Facebook page on Facebook, facebook.com slash Workman. 215. Finally, if you're watching the video version of this lesson, make sure you subscribe to our channels on YouTube and Rumble to ensure you will miss any upcoming episodes. Today, we are in lesson number 45 in this series, Come, Lord Jesus, from the book of Revelation. This lesson is titled, All Things New, Part 2. And our focus passage is Revelation 21, verses 9 through 27. Please find your way in your Bible to that passage. In Revelation 21, the Apostle John sees the new heaven and earth and the arrival of the new Jerusalem. In our previous episode, we began our study of Revelation chapter 21. At this point, the battle of Armageddon has been fought and won. The beast and the false prophet have been joined by Satan in the lake of fire. And the great white throne judgment has been completed. Those whose names were not found in the Lamb's book of life have joined them. We are now ready to move into the eternal state, the eternal kingdom of God. Last time we focused on verses 1 through 8, a new heaven and a new earth. We learned that when we speak of a new heaven and a new earth, What we have before us is not just a typical restoration project. It is not just something refreshing or refurbished of something old. No, this is a complete renewal. As I like to say, a total redo. All things are being made new according to the promises of God. The restoration project is complete. Let's do a quick review of the principle we learned last time. It is, God's people are destined to dwell with him forever in the new heavens and earth. God's people are destined to dwell with him forever in the new heavens and earth. As a way of application, we ask this question. What are you looking forward to the most in the new heaven and the new earth? Here is our lesson outline and goal for our teaching from Revelation 21. Today, we're in Lesson 45, All Things New, Part 2. As we just discussed, 
verses 1 through 8, we cover a new heaven and a new earth. Today we will focus on the second and third division first, a new holy city, verses 9 through 21, and then a new holy people, verses 22 through 27. And my goal for the teaching from Revelation 21 is this, to encourage believers to remember that Almighty God will keep His promise to make all things new and to dwell with His people forever and ever. Again, the goal for the teaching from Revelation 21, to encourage believers to remember that Almighty God will keep His promise to make all things new and to dwell with His people forever and ever. Let's get started. Let's start with our second division from Revelation 21, a new holy city, verses 9 through 21. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was like a very valuable stone, like a stone of crystal clear jasper. He had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and names were written on the gates, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And the wall of the city had twelve foundation stones, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square, and its length is as great as the width. And he measured the city with the rod. Twelve thousand stadia, its length, width, and height are equal. And he measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurements, which are also angelic measurements. The material of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, like clear glass. Verse 19. The foundation stones of the city wall were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Revelation 21, 9 through 21. As we start today with verse 9, we see that one of the angels who had poured out the one of the seven bowls of wrath came to speak to John to show him the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now, typically, this reference to the bride of the Lamb speaks of the church, but we see something different here. As we saw in verse 2, the reference here is to the new holy city, the new Jerusalem. In his book, Because the Time is Near, Dr. John MacArthur 
comments on this imagery. He says, quote, The city is pictured as a bride because it contains the bride and takes on her character. The imagery is drawn from a Jewish wedding. John saw the bride adorned for her husband because it was time for the consummation, the eternal state for believers. By this point in Revelation, the bride concept expands to include not only the church, but also the rest of the redeemed from all the ages who live forever in that eternal city. End quote. In verse 10, the angel carried John away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. He showed John the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Something that we note right away. This is God's city. He built it. It makes me think that this is a place Jesus went to prepare for us, as he told us in John 14, verse 3. In his commentary on the book of Revelation, Dr. Chuck Swindoll speaks on the fact that God is the builder of this new holy city. He says, quote, So, the new Jerusalem is a real place created by God as the dwelling of all the redeemed of all ages. Both all and New Testament believers will dwell in the city of God. This is the place Jesus had in mind when he went to prepare a place for us. Hebrews 11.10 and 12.22 describe the heavenly Jerusalem, the eternal Mount Zion, whose architect and builder is God. End quote. So what we see here, again, here's the theme developing. It's a city built by God. This is God's place. But also, notice the theme that it includes the redeem of all the ages, all the New Testament, all the saints from all time. That's who's going to dwell in this holy city. As we have seen throughout our study of Revelation, John does not directly quote from the Old Testament. Instead, what we have is more than 400 allusions to the Old Testament, and we get another one of those here. There was another prophet who was taken to a great mountain to see a holy city. Let's go to the scroll of Ezekiel in chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year after the city was taken, on this very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me there. In the visions of God, he brought me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, and on it, to the south, there was something like a structure of a city. So he brought me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze, with a thread of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he was standing in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, and pay attention to all that I am going to show you, for you have been brought here in order to show it to you. Declare to the house of Israel all that you see. Ezekiel chapter 40 verses 1 through 4. Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48 are viewed by many as a detailed description of a future end times temple. There is strong debate among biblical scholars about whether we are talking about a literal physical temple or a symbolic one. And, spoiler alert, in this new holy city described here in Revelation 21, there is no temple. Look ahead to verse 22. 
But that's not my focus right now. My focus right now is in making sure you see the connection that is being made here. The Apostle John is also taken by the Spirit of God to a great and high mountain to see the holy city of God. You cannot miss that and what it means for the rest of this chapter, and we will see other connections as we continue our study. In a recent episode of his Naked Bible podcast, Dr. Michael Heiser speaks about how the New Jerusalem fulfills Old Testament expectations. He says, quote, The New Jerusalem of Revelation 21 and 22 absorbs temple expectation. That is, the expectation of the ultimate end of exile, ultimate forgiveness, restoration of the dwelling place of God with his people, both in terms of a temple, but the land at large, really the world, because there are no more nations to harass Israel. They have been judged. Chaos is over. He is the king of the whole world. All of these things are fulfilled in Revelation 21 and 22 by means of the new Jerusalem and the new earth. End quote. And again, that's Dr. Michael Heiser in his Naked Bible podcast, episode 396, Revelation 21 and 22, part 1. Moving on to verse 11 of Revelation 21. What is this holy city like? First of all, the city had the glory of God, the Shekinah in it. It's God's city. He made it, so obviously it reflects Him. And since He's going to dwell among His people forever, it makes sense that the capital city of this new kingdom reflects His glory at all times. We're told that the city had the brilliance of a very valuable stone, like crystal clear jasper. It's the same precious stone used to describe the appearance of God as he sits on his throne in heaven. Look at Revelation chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and upon the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Revelation 4, 3, and 4. In verses 12 and 13, we're told that the city also had a great and high wall and had 12 gates. At each gate, there was an angel station. And each gate had written on it the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates, each on the east, north, south, and west of the city. Let's go back to the scroll of Ezekiel because there we get additional details. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 48, beginning in verse 31. Now, these are the exits of the city on the north side, 4,500 cubits by measurement. Shall be the gates of the city, named for the tribes of Israel, three gates toward the north, the gate of Reuben, one, the gate of Judah, one, and the gate of Levi, one. On the east side, 4,500 cubits shall be three gates, the gate of Joseph, one, the gate of Benjamin, one, and the gate of Dan, one. On the south side, 4,500 cubits by measurement shall be three gates, the gate of Simeon, one, the gate of Issachar, one, and the gate of Sepulon, one. On the west side, 4,500 cubits 
shall be three gates, the gate of Gad one, the gate of Asher one, and the gate of Naphtali one. That is Ezekiel 48 verses 30 through 34. The people of Israel are God's chosen people. His calling on them is irrevocable, as we learn in Romans 11, 26 through 29. He has plans for them. The inscription of the names of the 12 tribes on each gate in the heavenly city reflect God's everlasting covenant with Israel. He is not leaving them behind. As we move forward to verse 14, we learn that God was not going to stop with the choosing and the redeeming of Israel. No, his intention was always to bless the nations through Israel, Genesis 12, 1-3, and to have men and women from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation get in, get in to dwell with him forever, as we learn in Revelation 5, 9, and 10. This is reflected on what we learn next about the city. The wall of the city had 12 foundation stones, and on each stone was written one of the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the teaching of the apostles of Jesus Christ, as recorded in the New Testament, that provides the foundation for the church with Christ as the cornerstone. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each person must be careful how he builds it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 10 to 11. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That's Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So we have two peoples of God united, Israel and the church, united as one people, one family of God. That's where we're headed, and that's what's reflected on the gates and on the walls of the holy city. Let's go back to Dr. Michael Heiser from his Naked Bible Podcast episode on Revelation 21 and 22 as he speaks about this uni unified family. He says, quote, There is only one people of God. He has a Jewish component. He has a Gentile component. But there is one people of God. And the fact that the curses put on the original people of God, the Jew who went into exile because of their idolatry, are reversed by the circumstances of the new people of God, that includes Gentiles, is interesting to say the least. We go back to Eden before there was such a thing as a Jew and a Gentile. There is one people of God. That's the way it started at the beginning, and this is the way it's going to end, because God will run everything full circle. End quote. Again, that's Dr. Michael Heiser, Naked Bible Podcast, episode 396, Revelation 21 and 22, part 1. One people of God. There is no longer Jew or Gentile. We are one family of God. In verses 15 and 16, John also records that the angel had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, the gates, and the wall. In our study of Revelation 11, 
the kingdom is here, we learn that God has a couple of purposes for measuring something. One possible purpose is to mark it, to set it apart for protection. Another possible purpose is to denote ownership of the place or the people that are being measured. Keep that in mind as we move forward. We're told that the city is laid out like a cube with the same length, width, and height. Notice also the multiples of 12 reflected in the measurements. The measurement for each of the dimensions was 12,000 stadia, which is 1380 or to 1400 miles or 2220 kilometers. If you look at just the physical dimensions of this, this is a big place. As the old song goes, our father has a big, big house. In verses 17 and 18, we're told that the angel then measured the wall, which was 144 cubits. That's 216 feet or 65 meters. Again, 144 uh, is a multiple of 12. This is a very tall wall. We're told that the measurements are the same whether you speak in human terms or angelic terms. This phrase has always intrigued me as to why is that even there. One idea that finally came to me as I was studying for this lesson is that this holy city resides at the junction of the new heavens and the new earth. So the measurements reflect both realms. They are the same. It's one location where heaven and earth meet. We also learned that the wall was built with jasper and the city was built with pure gold, like clear glass. The whole city is built like this, with the same precious stones, as we saw in verse 11. In verses 19 and 20, we're also told that the foundation stones of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone, and we get another list of 12. 12 precious stones. We first get jasper, which is a variety of green quartz. Uh, we get sapphire, number two, and then number three, we get something called chalcedony or agate, which is a kind of quartz, usually is grayish or milky. Then we have emerald. It's a rich green variety of beryl, regarded as a very precious stone. We get sardonyx, which is a form of onyx. Sardius, which is a form of carnelian or ruby. Then number seven, chrysolite a magnesium iron silicate, usually olive green. Then we have beryl, which is a hard, lustrous mineral of various colors, mentioned in the Bible also as a gemstone. You get topaz number nine. The last three, chrysophrase, which is a light green variety of chalcedony, jacinth, jacinth and then amethyst, a purple variety of quartz used in jewelry. Again, and I think the description here, these precious stones, is just reflecting and expanding on how beautiful, how precious, how magnificent this new holy city is. There are a number of places in the scriptures where we find lists of precious stones. One such place is in the description of the breastplate to be worn by the high priest. Let's go to Exodus 28, beginning in verse 15. You shall make a breast piece of judgment, the work of a skilled embroiderer. Like the work of the ephod, you shall make it of gold, of violet, purple, and scarlet material, and fine twisted linen you shall make it. It shall be square and folded double, a spanning length and a spanning width. And you shall mount on it 
four rows of stones. The first row shall be a row of ruby, topaz, and emerald. And the second row, a turquoise, sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, and an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree. The stones shall be engraved according to the names of the sons of Israel. Twelve according to their names. They shall be like the engravings of a signet, each according to its names for the twelve tribes. That's Exodus 28, verses 15 to 21. Now, I cannot be dogmatic about this. However, depending on which translation of the name of the precious stones you use, you can find your way to having the same set of stones adorning the foundations of the holy city as you would find on the breastplate of the high priest. Going back to Dr. Michael Heiser, he offers an alternative view on the meaning of these gemstones. He says, quote, But the gemstones here that are used to describe the new city, the Edenic creation, the Edenic new city here, all those gemstones are present in Ezekiel 28, where they do not refer to gems on the high priest's ephod. Rather, the stones are ways of describing the splendor of the place in view, which is God's cosmic abode not a person, the high priest. All the stones in Ezekiel 28.13, except one, are used elsewhere to describe the supernatural Jerusalem of Revelation 21, which is obviously the divine abode and throne room. This is entirely consistent with the portrayal of divinity in terms of luminescence. End quote. And again, that's Dr. Michael Heiser, episode 397 of his NACO Bible podcast on Revelation 21 and 22, part 2. And I'm not sure what it all means uh, with these stones, except that God put it there for a reason. Again, we can be dogmatic about it, so for now, it is food for further thought and future study. In his book, Because the Time is Near, Dr. John MacArthur comments on why Christians should be preoccupied with heaven, which is such a wonderful place. Here's what he says, quote, Throughout the history of the church, God's people rightly have been preoccupied with heaven. They have longed for its joys because they have been only loosely tied to this earth. The Bible makes it clear that believers are to focus on heaven. In Philippians 3.20, Paul notes that our citizenship is in heaven. And he called upon the believers at Colossae to keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. End quote. Aren't you ready to go there right now? Well, that's the end of our second division from Revelation 21, a new holy city. What's the principle? God's people are destined to live in a holy place prepared by Him. God's people are destined to live in a holy place prepared by Him. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If that were not so, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again. I will take you to myself. So that where I am, there you also will be. John 14, 1-3 
how can you reflect the glory of God today, just like the new Jerusalem will reflect God's glory in eternity? Let's bring this home. Let's go to our third and final division from Revelation 21, a new holy people, verses 22 through 27. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its Lamb is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination or lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Revelation 21, 22 through 27. In verse 22, we see that there is one thing missing in this new holy city. However, what's missing? There is no temple or sanctuary. Why don't we have a temple in this new Jerusalem? Wasn't the temple the center of life in Jerusalem? Go back to Jeremiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 15. Don't we need a temple to meet with God? The short answer is no. Why is that? Well, John tells us right away. Because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The whole, the whole point of the temple is for God to have a place to dwell, to be, to live with his people. And if he's among them, a sanctified, glorified people of God, we don't need a specific place to meet with him. That's what we learn in verse 3 of Revelation 21. Now, the people of Israel, they needed first a tabernacle and then a temple. But that was then. Since Christ came, God lives in us, in his people, in the believers, through his Holy Spirit. And in eternity, we will not have a need for a specific place to worship. And Jesus spoke to this. Go back to the Gospel of John beginning in chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, and even now has arrived, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. John chapter 4, verses 21 to 23. Dr. Michael Heiser comments on this glorious idea of the fact that we don't need a temple in the new heavens and the new earth. He says, quote, You are not going to need it because you don't need the temple, because the temple is the return of the Lord. The temple is the glory returned to the city. Of course, we know in the form of the return Christ at his second coming. The Lord is the temple. Christ is the temple. So this verse takes a temple expectation, and the way John uses it is not of a temple but of a city, and again, really of Zion, just generally on a new earth. End quote. 
that's Dr. Heiser on his Naked Bible Podcast episodes 396 and 397 on Revelation 21 and 22. In verse 23 of Revelation 21, John tells us that the city also has no need of the light of the sun or the moon. Why is that? He tells us again, it's very clear. Because the glory of God, the Shekinah, illuminates it, and because the Lamb himself is its lamp. This fulfills the prophecy in Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 60, beginning in verse 19. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor will the moon give you light for brightness. But you will have the Lord as an everlasting light, and your God as your glory. Your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord as an everlasting light. And the days of your mourning will be over. Isaiah 60 verses 19 through 20. If you recall the creation account in Genesis, light was available before the sun and the moon were created. Light was created on day one. Look at Genesis chapter 1 verse starting in verse 3. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. There was evening, and there was morning one day. Genesis 1, 3-5. So here, as we look at Revelation 21, we're back to the initial state of creation. Restoration is complete. Furthermore, if you recall, Jesus said multiple times that he is the light of the world. In Revelation 21, we're told that the lamp is the lamp of the new holy city. Look at John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. The one who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. How about John 9, verse 5? While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, is the Lamb in the new heavens and the new earth. No need for the sun or the moon. We continue with verse 24. What else happens in this glorious city? We're told that the nations, that is the peoples, will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory into it. In this city, we're told in uh, verses 26 and 25 and 26, it is always daytime and there will be no more night. Darkness will be no more. The gates will always be open so that the nations of the world bring their glory and honor into it. Everyone that has been redeemed will come to the holy city of Zion, the new Jerusalem. Look at how this fulfills the scroll of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 60 beginning in verse 3. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Raise your eyes all around and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons will come from afar, and your daughters will be carried on the hip. Then you will see and be radiant, and your heart will thrill and rejoice. Because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you, the wealth of the nations will come to you. You will also suck the milk of the nations, and suck the breasts of kings. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. 
Isaiah 60 verses 3 to 5 and then verse 16. In verse 27, we're reminded that not everyone will be welcome into the holy city of Jerusalem. We're reminded that nothing unclean and no sinners, those who practice abominations online, will come into the city. This is sacred space, and it will not be violated ever again. How do you make sure you can come in? There is only one way to be assured that you can come into this sacred space. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be allowed into the new city. Have you made sure your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life? Dr. Chuck Swindoll speaks of the choice we all have. Each of us has a choice. Either be enrolled in the Book of Life now and receive rewards at Christ's throne for our good works done in faith, or keep our names out of the Book of Life through unbelief and be judged at God's throne on the basis of our wicked deeds. End quote. And here is an additional encouragement for you to make your decision for Jesus Christ today from the team at GatQuestions.org. Quote, If you believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died and rose again and have asked God to save you by His grace, then you are a citizen of the new Jerusalem. God raised you up with Christ and seated you with Him in the heavenly realms of, in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2.6 you have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 1 Peter 1.4 If you have not yet trusted Christ as your Savior, then we urge you to receive Him. The invitation is extended. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Revelation 22.17 End quote. Well, that's the end of our third and final division from Revelation 21. A new holy people. What's our principle? Only God's redeemed people will dwell with Him in His holy city. Only God's redeemed people will dwell with Him in His holy city. The one who overcomes will be clothed the same way in white garments, and I will not erase His name from the book of life. And I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Revelation 3 verse 5. What comfort do you receive knowing that you have been redeemed and that your destiny is to live in the new holy city? Well, that's our lesson for today. How can we apply what we have learned in this chapter? This past week I was reminded of how this present age we live in is really not the place we want to be. This is really not our home. This is not our dwelling place. Not the one we want anyway. In this present age, we experience the ravages, the curse of sin. There is illness and death. There is sorrow and pain. There is aging and the diminishing of our mental and physical capabilities. We also have pain and sorrow in our personal relationships. We experience the disappointment from those who we have trusted our entire lives. 
sin is pervasive and it ruins everything. It was all a blunt reminder of why we need the sure living hope of heaven. I believe that the trials and tribulations we experience on this earth are meant in part to make us put our focus on heaven. That is, the new heaven and the new earth. We need to remember that as believers in Christ, we are destined to be with God forever. We are headed to a place that is all new, all good and pure, and all permanent. There will be no decay, no defilement, no death, and no end to the eternal state. That's the hope we have, and that's the hope we need. And that's what we have in Christ, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 26. That is, the mystery which had been hidden from the past ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what the wealth of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles is, the mystery that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Jesus Christ, he is the sure living hope of heaven, and we will be with him forever and ever. 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable undefiled and will not fade away reserving heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 Hope is a person. His name is Jesus Christ. I would like to close with something that illustrates the glory that awaits us. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author and apologist, created the classic series of books titled The Chronicles of Narnia. It talks about the adventures of several children that get transported to the different, the magical land of Narnia, where animals talk and they encounter numerous creatures. They also encounter the true king of Narnia, the lion Aslan, which is a figure of Jesus Christ. So the Christian apologies wrote this as an allegory, a symbol, a way of telling the story of redemption. There are seven books in the series, and the seventh and final book in the series is titled The Last Battle. The book closes after Aslan, again the Christ figure, has defeated all the enemies and his followers are trying to figure out what happens next. In the previous books, the children were returned many times to the real world, their real world, and they had to leave Narnia. And as the battle is over, they're worried about what happens next. Do we have to go back to our world? Can we stay here? Here's how the book closes. Quote, And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion, but the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. 
All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. End quote. Every chapter is better than the one before. That's what we're looking forward to. That's the new heavens and the new earth because of Jesus Christ, the sure living hope of heaven. That concludes our teaching from Revelation 21. Thank you for being here today. In our next episode, we will turn our attention to Revelation 22, the last chapter of the book, the last chapter of the Bible. And we will transition our study towards the focus of all history and the longing of the church. Come, Lord Jesus. Until then, this is Jose Figueroa for an approved workman where we are rightly dividing the word of truth. May God richly bless you. Thank you.